0: You know, Palm Sunday marks a very interesting time uh, in, in, in our history, and in, in Christian history. It marks an interesting time in our Bible. The triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem before He was crucified is one of the stories or recollections that is found in all four canons, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So some things, some... Uh, uh, recollections only one disciple remembers it and writes it down some uh, multiple but in this situation all four recorded this event that Jesus uh, made his way to Jerusalem at long about the time of the Passover so this is right before and he's going and he alone knows that he's going there to lay his life down for everybody else. So he gets outside of Jerusalem, and our Bible says that he sends his disciples to go find uh, uh, one, a couple places, talks about it being a colt, some places call it a donkey, uh, some places call it the other word for a donkey, depending on the Bible that you're reading. But he goes and, he, and his disciples go and get him something to ride on, a colt, a young colt, because uh, Zechariah, the, the, the prophet, He said, he prophesied that the king was going to come in, the one who would deliver uh, Zion, the one who would deliver the Jews, the Israelites, and everybody else. He would come in riding on a colt. Uh, So he comes in and to fulfill the scripture, to fulfill prophecy, which the amount of prophecies fulfilled by Christ is almost incomprehensible. All the things that he fulfilled in his uh, uh, tenure on planet earth. But he comes into Jerusalem and his disciples go and get him a young donkey. And he sits on the donkey. And and this is where we'll pick up in Luke chapter 19. And they brought him to Jesus, Luke 19 and 35. 19 and 35. And they brought him to Jesus... And they cast their garments upon the colt. So they brought the donkey to Jesus, and they put their coats on it, and they set Jesus thereon. So Jesus began at that point to fulfill the prophecy. And then verse 36 says, And he went, and they, this is the crowd of people, spread their clothes in the way. Now, some recollections of this. Uh, They also include palm branches being put in front of Jesus and being waved. That's why we call uh, today Palm Sunday. So you have to picture what's happening. In the town of of Jerusalem, about 2,000 years ago, so no running water, no newspaper, no internet, no email. The only way that, that, that energy and information spreads is by energy and information spreading amongst the people. So they have heard that Jesus who most at that time believed he was a prophet and a miracle worker was coming into Jerusalem and they were excited because they'd heard about all the great wonders that he was doing. And here comes Jesus sitting on a young donkey, and the people are so excited, and they believed him to be the king of the Jews, and they were setting their clothes on the road in front of him, and they were shouting and magnifying God and celebrating their king, because you got to understand, they were under Roman rule at the time, so most people, most uh, Israelites, the understanding of the Messiah or the King coming was going to be a, a, a this life deliverance of their uh, uh, rule that was, of the, of the fact that they were ruled by the Romans at the time. So they were believing, here comes the King, and we're about to have war, and we are going to be set free uh, from the Romans who have come and overthrown uh, our situation and now control everything about what we do. So Jesus comes in, he's riding on his donkey, and they begin to throw their coats in front of him. They begin to throw their clothes in the way. And then the Bible says in verse 37 When he was come nigh, when he got near, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord... Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They began to magnify God. Now this is not just the twelve disciples. The Bible says clearly this is the multitude of the disciples. The twelve disciples that we read about, that's the ones that were close to Jesus. That's the one that Jesus was going to very shortly uh, after his ascension into heaven that he was going to turn the world upside down with. He was going to dispatch them with his word. That's why he had to have three years with these guys. So that their doctrine would be sound. So that their understanding would be sound. Because Jesus' number one goal was not to come to planet earth and do miracles. Jesus' number one goal was not to come to planet earth and let everybody see that he can walk on water and let everybody see that he can turn water into wine. Jesus' number one goal on planet earth was to come so that the lost could be found, so that the lost could be saved. And he had to, he took three years with these guys and in 12 of them and he says, you come with me, you eat with me, you live with me, we're going to go and we're going to do things but I want you to see, you're going to see crazy miracles, you're going to see all kind of wondrous things but you got to understand the number one, thing on Jesus' mind at any and all times, at any and all moments, was, is, was and is people. So he said, I need you 12 guys to get this. I need you to understand it down deep. I need you to get it down in your being that you recognize, because he knew he wasn't going to be with them forever on planet earth, so he had to have them prepared so when the moment came that they were going to take the baton and run with it, they had to be able to recognize that people are Jesus Christ's number one priority. So they're walking in and the multitudes, the multitudes, all the people that had followed Jesus, not just the twelve, they were magnifying God. They were shouting, they were saying, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were taking their coats off and they were putting them in front of him and they were believing God for a mighty move in their city. They were believing God for revival to take place. They were believing God that things were going to be different now that the king was here. I think we can get a pretty good clue from what they were doing that the more anticipation that we can give, the more opportunity we're going to run into because they were expecting something to happen. They were believing for something to happen. They were pursuing the things of God in that moment to try to see if God wouldn't do something powerful in their life. They began to magnify God and shout, Blessed is the King! Blessed is the King that comes in the name of the Lord! And then all of a sudden, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. The Pharisees did not like how the disciples worshipped God. The Pharisees did not like how the disciples magnified God. The Pharisees didn't like how the disciples celebrated God's Son. And Jesus said unto them, I'll tell you this, boys. If these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Number one, if you're taking notes, I always encourage you to take notes. Even if it's on your phone or something, that's no problem. But I always encourage you to take notes. Our Bible says to write the vision... And make it plain. There's something that happens when you jot something down, even if you never look at it again. It helps you to remember it. It helps with your recall. It helps you to uh, uh, be able to recall what you're hearing. Number one, worship God anyway. You are going to be surrounded by people for the rest of your life that don't like the way you worship. You're going to be surrounded by people the rest of your life that will think that you take it too far. You're going to be surrounded by people the rest of your life that think you take this whole Jesus thing too far. People are going to believe that you are just too religious. Now, you and I know we're not religious at all. We have found something better than religion. We have found a relationship with the one who loves us. But I'm here to tell you, it's the people in our Bible, in the New Testament, that when Jesus gets close they begin to magnify Him. And they begin to worship Him. And they begin to make a noise about Him. And they begin to believe on Him. And they begin to pursue Him. And they begin to stand out from the crowd of everybody that's on looking and decide if that's the one who heals the sick, then bless God, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to Him. I'm going to magnify God and I don't care what you think. Some things are cultural. You walk into any church on a Sunday morning and you will see different cultural things. We have a culture here. We do our best to stick right with the Word of God, but we have a culture here. Our music doesn't sound like every church. I don't talk like every other pastor talks. Our children's church is not like every other church. And I'm not talking about every other church. I'm just telling you, we have a culture. Some things are cultural. But there is nothing cultural about magnifying God. Everybody in our New Testament that magnifies God gets an encounter with God. I'm reminded of a man. They called him Blind Bartimaeus. And he used to sit and beg at the gates of the city. And here comes Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking by And blind Bartimaeus, who can't see him, hears that Jesus, the one who heals the sick, is passing by. And he cries out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him did what the Pharisees did here to Jesus. Hey, hey, Bart, man, Bartimaeus, could you just just be a little bit more quiet? You know, you're kind of embarrassing us. And the Bible says that Bartimaeus cried even louder. Oh Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says that Jesus is going about his business and all of a sudden he hears somebody crying out unto God. Stops him in his tracks. He turns and says to Bart, what would you like? He said, well, I'd like to be able to see Jesus. Jesus said, that's what I figured. And healed his eyes. There was a multitude of disciples shouting, magnifying praising, making a spectacle about who Jesus is and the Pharisees came and said you need to tell them to be quiet. Let me just say this if Jesus was going to ever correct us about making too big of a deal about him that was a great opportunity to do it but instead he said you Pharisees have it all wrong because I am the King of Kings, I am the Lord of Lords, the rocks that you're standing on would shout if these people didn't shout, and these happen to be my people. Yeah. Praise God anyway. When things get rough, praise God anyway. When things get hard, praise God anyway. When you don't understand, praise God anyway. You will find that His presence has an overwhelming attraction to where people will magnify Him. Maybe that's one of the reasons our Wednesday nights are so special. There's an attraction with the presence of God. That oftentimes it's balanced by our desire to see Him, to feel Him, to touch Him. And you can say all day long, well, I didn't know this was going to turn this way this morning, guys. You can say all day long, yeah, but that's how I really feel in my heart. And it's true. But Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. And you don't cut a tree open to find the fruit. The fruit is out there for everybody to see. Somebody ought to magnify God. Somebody ought to become, it ought to become the culture of your house to praise and worship God. Come on, put your hands together. God, we love you in this place. We magnify you in this place. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are without end, oh God. Your strength and power are overwhelming. None can stand against you, God. You're the great delivering God. You're the God who sets us free. You're the God who changes things. Come on, stir up the atmosphere for a minute. I dare five people to... For a minute. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll see the power of God move in our generation. Now, if you're over 45 years old, put your hands together for just a minute. Because you've been through some stuff. God, we've been through some things. And we magnify you anyway. We know that you're our rock and our fortress. We know in whom shall we fear. Now, if you're under 45, put your hands together for just a minute. Oh, God, we're that new creation. We're that new generation rising up to magnify you. Oh! There's something about magnifying God. When I don't feel good, I magnify God. When I don't feel like it's going right, I magnify God. Before it's over, I just start to shout, Oh God, you've delivered me before, you'll deliver me again. I can't wait till you make a public spectacle of the enemy that has risen up against me. I'm not going to steal what's yours. And you said vengeance belongs to you. You're my mighty right hand, oh God. Some things are cultural and some things get results in the Spirit and I'm going to do what the Bible says when my situation starts to look dire or I start to sense Him getting closer. Let me tell you something. When I sense Him getting closer, I change gears in this thing. I say, oh God, I feel You this time. Well, is it all about feeling? No, it's not all about feeling. Matter of fact, it has far less to do with feeling than faith. But when my children walk in the room, if I ignored them, do you think they would want to come in the room with me anymore? And we, we've got this idea like God's our butler. Oh Lord, I need you again. Amen. Amen. Oh, when I feel him starting to get close, I get that Bartimaeus anointing. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. He's getting closer. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. There's something about magnifying God. Oh, I love, I'll tell you one of the things I love. I love golf. I like to watch that little white ball roll on that flat green surface and fall down in a hole. I don't know what it is about it. I like it. I enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things to watch on TV, and I know golf you're supposed to be quiet, but I scream at the TV when that ball goes in, when they hit a good shot, I love it. But I will never let some guy with a stick hitting a ball wrapped in plastic get more energy and effort out of me than the one and only Son of the living God who bled and died and miraculously rose from the dead? On my behalf. Praise God. Anyway, you say, well, I'm just not from that world, man. I don't even know where to start. You just make a joyful noise. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, just clap. Well, if I I don't don't know what to say, even just say the name. It doesn't have to be. Listen, listen, In this environment, this is kind of where you see kind of us um, holy rollers. We just we kind of get wild, and I get it. I dare you when you buy yourself. Next time you're praying in your car, I never prayed in my car. The first time you pray in your car. I dare you to do it with some gusto. It's just you and him. I mean, you can do it when you're not even beside somebody, you know? I promise you, people think I'm crazy in my car. If I get to a stoplight, I might just just be getting into a, a prayer gear... I'm not stopping just because I came to a stoplight. What if the presence of God wants to fall? What if he wants to make all the debts uh, uh, all the debts associated with New Heights Church go away? What if he wants to pay this church off immediately? I'm not going to push the presence of God away for nothing or nobody. Amen. Believe in God in the name of Jesus. Build to be paid for. Done. I'm thankful that we're here. I'm thankful that we had all the favor that we had to get. it. But I just, in Jesus' name, I believe that God can just pay it off. No, number one. Somebody said number one. one. Praise God anyway. We used to sing this song in in, in Sunday school. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noontime. Praise Him when the sun goes down. No, just praise God. Well, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to praise God. Well, what if all hell breaks out? I'm going to praise God. What if I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death? I'm going to praise God. Not going to pitch a tent. Not going to make residence. Not going to slow down. I'm going to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. But I'm going to praise God. Praise God anyway. If you ever had a reason to praise God, when Jesus himself, the son of the living God, was asked, are they taking it too far? Jesus said, no. No. If New Heights worship team didn't magnify God the way they magnify God, these boards and this carpet would shout. Now praise God anyway. Praise God when it doesn't make sense. Praise God when when you got the the report that you didn't want to hear. Praise God when things are getting tough. Praise God. Listen, put your hand on your wife's hand and just praise God. Say, God, we're we're just going to take a minute and we're going to thank you for everything we do have. I understand there's some things we don't have, but I'm going to spend about five minutes thanking you for the things that we do have. I feel some kind of old tent revival thing coming on me. Now, some things are cultural and some things will get results. And you look in our Bible, everybody that decided they were going to worship God, everybody that decided they were going to magnify God and they decided they weren't going to care about what anybody said, what anybody talked about them, how they looked or anything else. Listen, there's one lady. She was so ashamed of herself. She'd had an issue of blood for 12 years and the Bible says that she finally, she had to shove, you look at one translation, it says she had to shove her way through the crowd just to get to him. She gets to him. He doesn't say, shame on you for being so passionate about touching the Son of God. He said, now that is faith. Yeah. No, we're going to worship God. We're going to magnify God. I don't let them. I'd rather have a hundred people so fired up and filled with faith, serving and, ma- listen. It, there was 120 people in the upper room. And when they finally got it right and began to magnify God and God in one mind and one accord, all of a sudden miracles started breaking out that haven't stopped for 2,000 years. If it's <laughs> your first time with us, we're glad you're here. I'm going to be in the first touch lounge after service. A problem I, I promise I won't shout at you. I will shout with you. But there is something about magnifying God that will change your situation. There's something about praising. Everybody say number one. one. Praise God anyway. I got a lot of points, but we might just beat on number one for the next 20 minutes or so. No, we're going to magnify God. Dads, we need our children to see us magnifying God. Moms, we need our children to see us magnifying God. No, there's some things that just fall into that old cultural side of it and I get it and I could give you a dozen examples but I think all the things popping in your mind right now are plenty. There are things in churches that are cultural but magnifying God, I don't care what any religion has ever said magnifying God is not a cultural thing, it is a biblical thing. We're going to worship God. We're going to magnify Him. I'll never have a rock scream louder than me. I'll never have a rock lift its rock hands higher than me. I'll never have a rock shout louder than me. I'll never have a rock get excited about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords more than I'm excited about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I don't care what my situation looks like. I'm going to magnify God with everything that I've got. Everything that He puts in my hands, I'm going to worship God with. If He gives us more light bulbs, we're going to magnify God with light bulbs. When He gives us more land, we're going to magnify God with more land. We're going to magnify God with everything. Everything that he puts at our disposal. Amen. But we've got to get out of our mind that it's culture. It's not culture, it's Bible. Amen. Moving on. The scripture goes on and says, And when he came near the city, he wept over it. Jesus got close to the city. And he began to cry over the city. And then he went into the temple and he cast out the people that sold, sold and, and the people that bought and said unto them, It's written, My house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Now, now Jesus is walking in the middle of his own Parade. And all of a sudden, he begins to weep. Because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that the people that were screaming, Jesus, Jesus, were going to shift in five days and scream, kill him, kill him. He began to weep. He gets to the temple and, and if there ever should have been a day where he'd have just taken a day off, He said, not in my house, not in my father's house. Listen, this is a place of prayer. This is the house of prayer. Number two, see through the noise. There will be people that celebrate you. They'll put you on a pedestal. Let me just tell you something. The higher the pedestal, There will be people that celebrate you. They'll have a parade in your honor. But you've got to see through the noise. You know who you are, and I'm not telling you to make a false confession over yourself, but you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian. Everything good on the inside of you comes through who he is. And when we get put, sometimes pastors, we get put on a pedestal a lot. We got to see through the noise. The minute you start to think that you're more than a blood-bought born-again Christian, well, let me just tell you how the Bible says it. Pride comes before a fall. We got to see through the noise. Number three, keep the main thing the main thing. Snuck that one in there again. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus, even in the middle of his parade, verse 47 said, He taught in the temple daily. Even in the middle of all the hubbub of Jesus is here, here's the King. Literally, two ages are compacting on top of one another. Two testaments are piling up onto one another. Two eras are piling up onto one another. The sin and the weight of the world is piling up on the soul, on the shoulders of our Galilean Savior. Yet somehow or another, he still found the strength. He still found the passion to teach. Daily in the temple. Keep the main thing. The main thing. Let me say it different. Jesus has all of sin. Piling on top of him. And he still. Loved his neighbor. He still. Thought about. His disciples. He still made sure that the Word of God was taught. I know we all have pressures and work and school and bills and a thousand different other things. But if Jesus can focus with all of our sin stacked up on Him, I think we can still be nice to our children if we had a bad day at work. I think we can still be kind to our husband or our wife even if we had a tough go of it. I think even if the professor has called for a pop quiz that it wasn't in the syllabus and they shouldn't have done it, I think that doesn't mean we should lose our religion. See, Jesus kept the main thing the main thing regardless of the details around Him. Last point I'm going to make. Never let your current condition determine your identity. Some of you are going through some things and if we hit pause on your life right now and said, did a screenshot... It wouldn't be a very accurate depiction of who you are. Some of you are on a mountaintop, so great and so amazing right now, it just, man, it couldn't be better. And if we took a screenshot, we would say, man, they've never missed. The ball must always bounce their way. It's not true. It's just the season you're in. It's the time you're in. Jesus walked in on a Sunday here comes the king he doesn't even have to walk he's riding a donkey I saw a thing one time said would Jesus drive a Mercedes I don't know but they didn't have him back then so he's riding a donkey tears rolling down his face here comes the king oh here comes the king Five days later, bang, bang, bang. Here's your king now. You... You see, our current condition does not define who we are. What God's Word says defines who we are. Some of you are going through some things right now and it feels like the weight of the world is coming upon you. And if somebody stopped and looked at you and says, that's who they are, you would have to remind them say, no, 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 I know how I look right now, but you don't understand. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. I feel the weight of the world coming upon me but I'm telling you before this thing's over God is going to deliver me with his mighty right hand. Some of you are in your parade time and you're going, oh yeah, here we go, couldn't get any better, God is so good, everything's wonderful, and if somebody came up to you, they would start to think, oh, you never do any wrong, every one of your prayers gets answered in a millisecond, you must be so close to God, do you even speak English? It's amazing to me that God loves you so much, but He doesn't love me so much. You've got to recognize and you've got to point them to the One who is blessing you and not the idea that you are the blessing, you've got to tell them, no, 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 God's not a respecter of persons, if He'll do it for me He'll do it for you, and let me tell you about a valley I was in one time ago and God began to deliver me through it so what you see right now is not all of who I am, you see my current condition but my identity is not what I'm going through, my identity is found in the one that I am running to this is Holy Week They call Friday Good Friday. I don't know why. It's when all of time began to collide. It's when everything God said was going to happen began to culminate. How about this? Approximately 4,000 years, by most historians. Recollection. Our Bible was promising a Messiah coming. 4,000 years. God's people were waiting. And somehow in 2016, we feel if God doesn't answer our prayer in four seconds... Somehow He has forgotten about us and left us. I thought you said, you'd never forsake me. What you're going through is not who you are. What you're going through is going to position you for an even stronger testimony. Jesus had no guile in him. He had no sin. He had nothing wrong. He'd never done anything wrong. Yet in five days, they go from calling him a king to calling him a liar, a thief, a criminal, blasphemer. They were calling for his blood. I, I know it had to happen this way. And I'm not mad at anybody back there in that time. But if there was a multitude of people supporting him, surely there could have been some kind of an effort to save his life. They didn't know. I'm not mad at them. They didn't know. It's like you were before you got saved. You didn't know. Now you know. But if they'll flip on Jesus that fast... How fast will they flip on you? Your current condition does not determine your identity. What God's Word says determines your identity. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching.